Pulp MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I wanna say. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's industry seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires and brought to you by Blendsall, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, 612 Suspension, and Fly Racing. Welcome, everybody. It is Monday morning, actually. Decided to do this this morning instead of on Sunday. Had another race yesterday, and then we went straight into the press conference, and then we did our Racer X review podcast with myself and Steve Matheson, Jason Wygant last night, and we didn't finish that until probably, I'm going to say like 10, and I was pretty tired. So I figured I could knock this out this morning, get it over to everyone, hopefully before many of you even know what's missing. And I just didn't want to do a bad job last night. If I would have done it, it would have been really short. I don't know how sweet it would have been. It would just would have kind of been forced. So got up this morning. It's 530 here in Salt Lake. So we can talk about a little racing on this Monday morning. And that was round 13. So we got four more to go. And it's been interesting like that was obviously a mud race well i don't want to say a full mud race but it certainly was not the conditions of the first two and it's been a little bit of everything first round track was pretty terrible really difficult conditions really hot really windy and the track really got away from the dirtworks crew and i believe they learned a lot then we saw a really good racetrack uh last wednesday Probably the best conditions that we might see, although this Wednesday looks pretty nice as well. Nice racetrack, pretty technical, and then we roll into this past Sunday with just horrific weather all morning, uh, rain throughout the the main event there, and you saw a, an extremely difficult racetrack with really treacherous conditions. Unless your names are Eli Tomac and Cooper Webb, and then it was like, it wasn't muddy at all. So we'll get into some of that, but it's been all over the map as far as conditions. As you guys saw on the television coverage, we went from a 90 degree race last Wednesday to four days later, uh, it was around, you know, just under 50 degrees. And that's pretty typical for this part of the year and this time of year, uh, just wild swings. And it, and it kind of phases out of that once you get in more into June and into July, those dips into the you know 30s and 40s aren't really around anymore, and you start seeing 80s and 90s on the regular. But as many of you saw, it's still possible. So what does the next week and a half bring? Two weeks, actually two weeks bring. I guess it's anybody's guess, but I'm expecting pretty good weather. Uh, the farthest I've looked out is just for Wednesday, and it looked like a perfect day. So I hope that's the case. I think the those really difficult conditions hamper the racing and you saw how much better the top two were in both classes really they were just gone and um to have depth in the class and to have real parity in the results 
I think you need ideal conditions to kind of widen the the range for guys who can go fast on that track. You know, even a guy like Zach Osborne, who was came off a podium on Wednesday, he still got fourth on Sunday, but he got lapped. You know, that that's the difference that a few days in in that weather can make. So before we get into all that stuff, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. Pirelli Tires, Blenzol Oils, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, Premier Vapor Blasting, 612 Suspension, and Fly Racing. Thanks to all of them for all they do, and we'll get into those guys a little bit more and their specific places in the sport as we roll through this podcast. But yeah, when we woke up on Sunday morning, we all kind of knew that the weather was going to be difficult. Uh, We'd been following along, and, and the first thing I did was look for an adjusted schedule, and boom, there it was. Now, I had some inside information. I talked with Mike Pelletier from the AMA on Saturday night here at the hotel, and and most of the Feld and AMA staff are all at the same hotel I am. So there's, you know, the lobby areas are a pretty common uh, talking spot, and not so much rumor or gossip because it's firsthand information from them, but they have done a great job of sharing and just being communicative on what's happening. Uh, So, you know, this small group of people that are at the races all know what's happening and what the possibilities are. So when I woke up, didn't have to wait very long and there was the new schedule. So instead of a a 9am track showing for riders and teams and everybody, that got pushed to noon. So I went from a pretty full day and full morning of being at the track and ready to go to now what am I going to do? Now, on a personal level, the worst part of that was I couldn't even go ride my bicycle because it was raining and windy and and the things that I would have used that time for were gone. So I went to the gym and tried to make the most of it, watch TV, but I I ran out of things to do pretty quickly. And keep in mind, we've been at this hotel already for, you know, 10 days. So it's not not like we have lots of things to explore around here still. Uh, But finally, we got to go to the track. And for me... Personally, it was it was fun because I got to do the television spotting, and in essence, what that boils down to is there's always the main frame that's going on, and the, there's a camera that follows the leaders, and then there are two roving cameras that are looking for battles. They're trying to find who's you know catching up to someone else, where the leaders are if they're not in the main battle. You know, such as Ken Roxon had a rough day, which we'll talk about. So I have a headset on and I am in direct communication with the, my cameraman was well, mine, but the, the one that I'm sending him where to go. And then I'm also in communication with the overall production director who is, he's talking to Ralph and Ricky. He's talking to the cameraman. He's talking to the production team to tell them that which production package they want put on the screen. He's talking to Will. He's talking to Daniel Blair. He's talking to everybody. And his name is uh, Bondo, as we all call him, Chris, but he's, his job is not enviable because he's got everything coming at him and he's yelling at people and making sure they get in and out of transitions. And then he's also reaching out to me to ask me if there's anything upcoming that he's missing. So I'm trying to find things that are not obvious, trying to find the battle that's brewing, right? If, if Roxon's dropping back or if Mookie's moving through the pack, the things that don't jump off the page that you can't really see if you just glance at the track, almost like the storylines that are just under the surface. So I'm, I always have that in my back pocket and, and, uh, 
the cameraman that I work with, his name is Doug. We're staying on those guys. And then if there is nothing going, we'll just find maybe the third or fourth place guy who is still a superstar of the sport. And we'll follow those guys around as I scan the track for what's, what's kind of happening that we can always pan to. So that was a learning experience for me. It was really fun. I'm looking forward to doing that again on Wednesday. You know, having done the the booth work with Paul Malin for MXGP last year, I, I really enjoy doing color color commentary. That's awesome, and I started to find my groove at Motocross Nation. So, looking forward to doing more of that this summer and this fall, as long as the borders are open and I get to go. But this was a whole new side where I was working more with the camera guys and, and understanding that side of the business too. So it's been a lot of learning and, and really, really fun for me. Even if I I don't believe I was like great at it or anything. I, I certainly don't feel that, but it gets easier as you go and you learn and, and I started to pick it up towards the end. So we'll see if I can jump in there and, and help those guys uh, on my end, at least do a better job on my end on Wednesday. But as for the racing, you, you guys watch the 250 class, obviously. And this East Coast is really thinning out, right? And, and some of it's on purpose by some of the guys, and some of it's just crashes and guys getting hurt, and there's a lot going on, right? And luckily, we got Colt Nichols back lately, or else it would be really ugly. We saw March Banks go down hard at the, the first lap of that uh, the main event, and then that brought out the red flag. And he went down right in front of the press box. So it was right in front of Steve Mathis and I, but I, I didn't see it, honestly. I was kind of looking through the pack, and I think he went over the bars. But as, as he's laying there, we all know the you know the tragedy that was Brian Moreau and, and his attempted recovery and, and such a tough situation. So anytime a rider complains of back pain or neck pain or anything like that, I would just count on a red flag coming out. Uh, they're not going to take any chances with an injury like that. If they're if they have pain in that situation, and they don't feel like they can safely move him, they're not going to try. So, as much as it really can detract from the racing at hand, you know we have to start all over again. I'm going to always go for safety first. If they have to make a a hard decision based on rider safety, so be it. Uh, these are the athletes and, and, you know, this is the family of this sport and their safety is paramount to everything else. So hopefully he's okay. I haven't heard a definitive report. I did hear that he had back soreness or rib soreness, but, um, I'm hoping that's all it turns out to be. I could see his face was bleeding pretty good. Uh, once I got his goggles off, his nose was bleeding. Um, but let's, let's hope for the best for March banks. I don't think it's anything extremely serious and let's hope that, uh, ends up being the final result. Now, as for the two leaders, you know, it's really come down to those two. You know, Jeremy Martin has decided to call it a series. He wants to retain his 250 Supercross status for 2021. And that's a highly debated topic. Steve Matheson and I talked about it for probably 15 minutes last night on the review pod. And I'm sure we'll talk about it again tonight on the Pulp MX show because we will have the man himself, J-Mart, to defend his position and, and shed a little light on it. And honestly, for me, I'm good with it. I get it. I know why. I understand the situation. There are not any 450 spots to move into. And yeah, okay, you can go build a team like Martin Davalos did, but that's not ideal. That I mean, he didn't even build a team, I guess, but he had to kind of create a spot. They had to go 
get works equipment from KTM and he's at, you know, over at uh, team tetter. I don't believe that's the situation Jeremy Martin wants to find himself in. He wants to move up and go to factory level equipment with a salary and resources and everything there waiting on him. And honestly, for a guy that's a former national champion, he's a great rider. I don't blame him. And that's where Steve and I just don't come down on the same side. He's always the guy that he wants you to go bet on yourself and to take a chance. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't necessarily disagree with that premise, but I think that's worst case scenario. And I think that's last resort. And when you have the opportunity to have a great paying job for 2021 on a really great team, which is Geico Honda, and you can go win 250 races next year and try to win a 250 national championship again next year. I think you have to take that. And remember, he's coming off of a huge back injury where we didn't know if he was even going to come back to racing. So for him to immediately jump out of this the first year back and step into the 450 class with no opportunity and no immediate job placement, I don't think that's a decision. I don't think that's prudent. I just don't think he has to do that. And as much as Steve wants to rant and rave about these guys staying down in the 250 class, you have to make smart decisions. You can't just force it. You can't just be like, yeah, screw it. No one wants to hire me. I'll go do it anyway. Why don't you take your 250 job that pays very well and great bonus money and great opportunity for next year and then build a plan for 2022 and start working on 450 positioning now? Because if he does have a good year next year, I do think someone will take a chance on him. But unfortunately, he's up against some really tough competition moving up. He's got Shane McElrath moving up, who does not have a job yet for 2021 in the 450 class. And I think most people are going to choose Shane McElrath over Jeremy Martin right now for a 450 ride. So that's one really difficult spot, you know, that if you're just looking at it uh, from a vacuum, as Steve would say you're already behind the eight ball because McElrath's moving up. And then you've got Ferrandis, who I think is probably signed. If he's not, he will be. That's another guy that's moving up. So if you just look at the landscape, I don't think there will be as many guys moving up next year. Add Chase Sexton to that too. There's another guy moving up for 2021. So there just are not spots to be had. And you always have to make smart long-term decisions because what, because what can happen is if Jeremy Martin decided, you know what, I'm moving up, no one can stop me, I'll figure it out like Steve wants him to do, and he doesn't get a good bike next year, which, you know, I would say 50-50 shot that he gets a really good bike for 2021. Maybe he would have to buy it or, or pay for part of it, but I, I don't even know where he would ride, you know, what team he would ride for where he could get a good bike. That's half the problem. So if he doesn't get great equipment and he goes out there on a 450 and really struggles, in 2021, you know what? His chance of getting a good deal on good equipment for 2022, almost nil, you know, because he, he has gone out and proven himself negatively. So you really have to be careful with the decisions you make and the timing of those decisions. So personally, I think he's doing the right thing. Are the optics of it great? No. But I do think he did the right thing by coming out and being transparent. If you just go out and say, yeah, I'm, I'm hurt or whatever, you know, which we've seen. We saw McElrath do it last year. We've seen guys do it in the past. I hate that. It's so it's so easy to just see through that. It's thinly veiled. 
you're not fooling anybody. So what's the point? Just be honest with everybody. And the people that were going to be pissed about it, they're still going to be pissed because they knew what you were doing anyway. And the people that were on the fence, maybe you can earn their respect by just being honest, just explain the situation. Most people have jobs, right? They understand how important employment is, and he's trying to make the best decision for his career long term. And I think most people in the end will appreciate that. So that's enough on J-Mart. We'll talk about him more on the Pulp Mech show tonight when he's on. So please check that out. Now, as for Sexton and Marchbanks, uh, we have a little bit of tension brewing there. And I thought they did a pretty good job of diffusing it at the press conference. And if you haven't watched that, uh, I think you can. I watched it live yesterday. Uh, It's all via Zoom, right? We can't be around each other. But you just feel a little bit of behind the scenes, hard feelings coming out. And uh, the crash, well, it wasn't even a crash. Sexting kind of got derailed off the track in that first main event before the red flag. And that really ruined any shot he had. And then he crashed, landed on Enzo Lopes right after that. But you just see the comments and they're kind of taking, I don't want to say they're taking shots at each other, but it's almost uh, like they're, they're wanting to project their dominance over each other. Neither of them are having it. And and let's be honest, they're really close to each other in skill and talent and speed and everything else. So I get it. These are, you know, McElrath's not that young anymore, but Sexton's pretty young. And they're both the alphas in this 250 E series. And only one of these guys is going to come away with the title and the other guy's going to left... Pretty bummed out, I would say, after a great series for both guys. So it's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, I thought there was a chance that Sexton was maybe going to go after McElrath in that uh, second of the two main events. And and I don't want to say there's two main events, but after the restart would be a a better phrase for that. But he didn't. They kept it clean. But with one more East Coast round and then the showdown, I think anything goes. You know, the points gap is only three. It's really tight. And what I'm looking for is I think there's a chance that Shane bounces back and wins the next East round because he's been a little bit better. You know, he fell over while leading this pass round. And then the showdown is going to be wild because you're going to throw in all those West Coast guys into the mix. And I think more than anything, it favors Shane because his starts are so consistent. And if he can hole shot that showdown... You add in all those other guys. You add in Ferrandis and Justin Cooper and Austin Forkner and the Lawrence brothers and they, Christian Craig. And there's just so many guys that can get in there and change this whole dynamic. Getting the start at that showdown is going to be everything. It's going to mean so much more than right now because, let's be honest, Sexton, if he doesn't get caught up with Colt Nichols, there's no one left. Marchbanks is out. J-Mart's out. I mean, literally all the good guys are gone. RJ Hampshire's out. And for him to pass guys like Jaleek Swole and Kyle Peters and those guys, it's not that difficult for him. They can do it pretty easily. Uh, you know, Maybe Pierce Brown could put up a little bit of a fight, but I don't think so. Sexton just seems like he can blow past those guys at will. So it's really come down to those two, and starts have almost become irrelevant. Not so much at the showdown. So watch for that. If Shane McElrath can pull this back to even at the preeminent or the penultimate um, 250 round, I think the West Coast round really favors McElrath. But yeah, that's obviously just conjecture and we don't really know. It's just what I've seen and, and, and how critical the start can be at the showdown. 
Now, as for Nichols, I'll just touch on him a little bit. He seems like he's definitely getting better. Now, Steve brought up a point last night that he had caught McElrath big time in the main event, and he thought that Nichols could have gone around him had the points been removed. Now, I wasn't watching that as closely, and maybe I should have been. I was looking for battles uh, doing the spotting gig, and I wasn't really paying attention to those two because I knew there was no way Nichols was going to pass him, even if he could. I don't think that he necessarily could have. I think McElrath... He knew the, the deal too. He knew Nichols was not going to pass him at all costs because of the point situation. So he was probably cruising. And then, you know, regardless of who had more speed, Nichols did the same. There's just so much, you know, on the line for team tactics and points and all that stuff. And that's really a, kind of a negative for Chase Sexton with Jamar leaving because he doesn't have any help. Now, he will get some reinforcements as Jet Lawrence and uh, Hunter Lawrence come back into the fray, as well as Christian Craig. So he's going to have a three-teammate infusion. And I'm leaving Joe Shimoda out of that. You know, and, that, and that's not Joe's fault, but I don't think that Joe has the speed to really be a factor. He's not going to get up there and and be able to help. He just doesn't – he's not fast enough to hold McElrath back. So that's nothing against Joe. He's, he's a Supercross rookie. He shouldn't be expected – to get in there and, and lend any help because he doesn't have the pace yet. And that's really not his, not his duty to do to help anyone. Uh, but for a guy like Colt Nichols, he does, he can help uh, Shane McElrath down the stretch. And as I said, these other two fifty guys come back into the mix, the West coast guys, they can help both the Lawrence brothers and Christian Craig are fast enough to help. So watch all of those dynamics at that showdown race and see who helps and who doesn't. Now, as for Dylan Ferrandis and Justin Cooper, they're not going to be able to. They're going to be in their own war. So they're not going to be able to help. They're not going to be able to do much to interfere. They're going to be trying to win their own title. So there's just going to be so many storylines going into that showdown. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself as far as these races go. But I'm looking on the horizon, and there's just a lot to talk about. And hopefully this 250 West Series stays really competitive as we go into that final round. Because if... That series can tighten up, and the final East series stays tight. It's going to be an all-time West Coast round. So I'm excited for that. Uh, but 250 class, you know, there's just not much left other than the two. Everybody's hurt. J-Mart bowed out, and all we have left are Sexton and McElrath, which is fine. We have a battle. I'll take that versus a runaway, which we've seen in many, many years. We've seen years where the title would already be wrapped at this point. So having a three-point gap with two rounds left, we should be thankful for at least that. Now, the 450 class, we will get into, but I want to talk about Pirelli tires first. Now, Pirelli, they've been biding their time a little bit because so much of their racing is on hiatus, as I said. But the great part is, is so many people are out riding, and I'm in a power sports haven in Salt Lake. So everywhere I go, I see dirt bikes. And street bikes and everybody's out riding and thankfully they're on Pirelli tires so get out and try them if you're doing a little off-road riding maybe try that MX Extra tire if you're going motocross riding I keep harping on that Scorpion MX 32 whether it's the mid hard or mid soft that was my tire of choice when I raced so give those a shot and as we start looking towards MXGP to ramp back up well they dominate MXGP so you're going to see Pirelli tires at the front all the time. 
So same as Formula One, for those Formula One fans out there, they are the tire of Formula One. And I'm sure all those guys are ready to get back to it. It's been a long break. And as coronavirus seems to be headed towards, you know, the the right place where we have this under control, or at least we can get back to some normalcy, even if it's without fans like Supercross is, that's fine. I'm happy to watch Formula One and MXGP and anything else without fans. I'm good with it because it doesn't really affect my experience. I just want to watch the competition side of it. So I know Pirelli just like, myself is ready to get back to that racing. So check those guys out. Blends all oils. Talk to David and those guys over there and kind of same thing. They're, they're getting ready. They're ramping up all their 125 efforts. Michael Lessie is on a blends all YZ 125 and he's going to come in hot for these races. We all know how seriously that Michael Lessie takes these exhibition races. <laughs> kind of kidding there, but, uh, putting him on a 125 two stroke is going to be interesting to watch because you know he's going to be battling some of these younger kids too. So that'll be fun. Uh, GNCC and ATV racing. They've got a lot of interaction there. They're winning a bunch of those races. So check those guys out on the GNCC side. And then uh, they're doing a collab on a seat cover with Guts Racing. So that will be available at blendsall.com too. So check out at blendsall on their Instagram and then blendsall.com to get a great deal on some oil and you can get that at any WPS authorized dealer as well. So check out blends all and happy to have those guys on board. Now some 450 racing and holy crap. What a battle we saw. That was one of the greatest races I've seen in a very long time. And I was on the edge of my seat watching it I, at any time. Those guys could have crashed their brains out and Cooper Webb could have won. Eli Tomac could have won. And I'm very thankful to them. Not that they care about, you know, what I think, but I'm thankful to them for providing a great race because otherwise it would have been a snooze fest. You look behind them. Anderson was all by himself. And then Osborne was all by himself. And then Mookie was all by himself. And it just went further back and further back. Nobody was even really battling each other because the track was so difficult. All those guys could do was just try to execute laps. They couldn't even worry about each other. And then you flash forward back to the front and those guys are just going for it. They lapped all the way up to third. Well, they, they lapped fourth. I should say they lapped Zach Osborne, who keep in mind, whole shot of the race and was in a battle with these two. And we talked to Zach a little bit after the race and he was honest. He was just mind blown. He could not believe that those guys lapped him. And he's like, how did they do it? Like, what were they doing? And when you really break the race down, those two were just on a completely different level, whether it was rhythm sections or the whoops or wherever on the track you wanted to pick, they were just doing things that the rest of the guys weren't. They were tripling all the way through the rhythm sections. They never stopped blitzing the whoops. They never really backed down off the fastest line. And not only that, they were putting pieces of the track together in the main event that no one had done all day. And for the rest of the guys, they weren't even in that really headspace, right? If you're Osborne and Anderson, those guys, they weren't really even trying to do that. They were just trying to kind of ride the same track they had been. They weren't looking for a section where they could triple that, you know, maybe had been uncovered. And I think, I think that's a really critical aspect of this to, to take away if you're Osborne and Anderson and these guys is you always have to remember that the track is constantly changing and you have to adapt with it. And if you watch those two at the front, 
there was a rhythm section along the side, along the, the side, same side as the tower of the stadium. And Tomac started busting out triples that he put together and Webb's the same thing. And that w- those were not jumps that they had done earlier in the day. They had those in their back pocket. They knew they were possible and they pulled them out in the main event when the track allowed it. And that is something that I've watched over the years that James Stewart always did. He always had sections that if he needed them, he, he could do it. And he didn't always do it. He didn't always need it. But he would save it for the main event or he would figure it out in the main event. And it just separated him from everyone else. You go back to a race like Toronto in 2013 or 2014, and that's a perfect example. He had a, a triple section that he saved for the main event. And there are sections I've seen at Anaheim where he's had quads that he busted out in the main event. And it makes his life very easy because no one is ready for it. And I don't think Tomac and Webb were really holding those sections back. It was really more situational where the track kind of came in. They found a good rut that allowed them to jump through it. And they went for it. And they did not hesitate. And you watch guys like even guys at the front, Anderson and Osborne and Mookie, they weren't. They weren't doing that stuff. They were just trying to be better than the guys behind him. And I'll separate Anderson a little bit because he rode really well. He deserves a lot of credit. He just didn't have anything for the first two. Those guys were unbelievable. And there's really there are no words that can accurately describe how much better they were than the majority of the field. The whoops, they were just killing them. And everyone else, I mean really good guys had resulted to doubling through them by the end of the main event. Not Webb and Tomac. They were coming out of the corner and just sending it. I mean, reckless abandon was how these guys were riding. And I think that should be, there should be a lot of credit given to Tomac here because if you're Webb, I I can understand it. Webb is desperately trying to make up points. You know, he's 32 points down He's got to make it happen, and he's got to win races. So for him to go for it and leave it all on the line totally makes sense. For Tomac, I think it's the opposite. I think everything would point to, okay, you're in second, and you're chasing Webb. You don't have to do anything stupid here. Even if he had had backed it down and taken an easy second place, he could have just cruised to second place. He would still be 26 points, a complete race win ahead of Cooper Webb. And yeah, uh, Roxon is less points down, but Roxon is dealing with all sorts of issues. So I'm not even really counting him right now. But I think Tomac didn't have to go for it. He didn't have to take huge chances, and he absolutely was. He was riding with zero thought towards the championship. He was forcing it into the outsides of corners when Webb could have just blown him off the track. And kudos to Webb for keeping it clean. He didn't do anything stupid. And those two really went for it. And they kept it clean. And I, I tip my hat to both of them for providing an excellent race. And just on a an admiration level, they were doing stuff that we haven't seen guys do in a long time. As far as on the, the track difficulty, the risks they were taking, they left it all out there. And, and it was just a race, you know, as Cooper Webb said, a race for the ages on the podium. And we'll see, time will tell how the race is remembered. But I left there with nothing but incredible amount of respect for both of them and honestly just incredibly impressed by their skill level and I guess it's really not fair to say this but I think I was more impressed by Webb than Tomac because we've seen rides from Tomac like that before 
Go back to 2017 at Salt Lake. We've just seen rides where Tomac just blows your mind, and you're just like, I don't know how he did that. I have no clue how he's going that fast. That's kind of been more common for Tomac, where Webb, it seems like when he wins, it's very calculated. He'll always kind of manage the race, and yeah, he's obviously going fast. That's a given, but it's not the mind-blowing speed or visually as stunning as what we've seen from Tomac over the years. This time it kind of was. He he was doing things and taking chances that he normally doesn't and pulling it off. I don't want to say with relative ease, but it, he didn't really have any big moments or didn't seem like he was on the verge of crashing. It was a, a really impressive performance by Webb to show that he could take chances and really put himself on the edge too and go with Tomac. Even though he didn't win, he gave Tomac all he wanted. So great job for by those two. I don't want to drag it on with those two, but if you watch the race, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And win or lose first or second place, both of those guys should be incredibly proud of the performance they put on uh, on Sunday night. Anderson, great ride, kind of lonely ride, but if you're going to if you're going to have to deal with a performance by those two, you got to take third and you got to walk away uh, happy with a podium finish. And it was definitely overshadowed by the battle at the front, but he rode really, really well all day. He won his heat race and he should be happy. He should be happy with that third place. And it bodes well for him down the stretch. Osborne fourth, solid ride, but it had to, <laughs> it had to be devastating to watch Tomac and Webb come by to lap you. Because he was ahead of those two. He was battling with them at the front. And coming off of the Wednesday race where he led for 20 laps. He certainly didn't have the pace to go with him this time. And I think he was he was more impressed by those two than anything else. He'll go back and watch the race tape and see all the things they were tripling. And see how fast they were going through the whoops. And he'll figure out where he lost all that time. And really, if it doesn't rain again, it kind of doesn't matter. The track was very unique. And we probably won't see conditions like that again. Mookie in fifth, great ride, pretty awesome, honestly. Um, you know, he he's coming off of some some much better performances. Uh, winning that heat race on Wednesday, I think, gave him a lot of confidence. And those conditions on on Sunday night, I, I don't think were perfect for him. So to see him overcome very difficult conditions in a very difficult track, and I don't know if fifth is his best ever main event finish, but it's right up there with that. And he moved forward. He passed up to fifth. So if this was a, you know, a kind of an up arrow or down arrow for where Mookie is trending, it's certainly trending up. And we, we love seeing Mookie back. He adds a lot of flair and character to the series. And it's nice to see him coming off that big injury in 2019 and bouncing back in a strong way. Now I will say if we get dry conditions, for these final four rounds, we could see some some awesomeness from Mookie. I, I think he is ready to put it up there with those guys on a dry track. I think he's ready to take chances. He has his strengths, which are the whoops for sure. If he can get a start, I think he's ready to, to put some of that Mookie fever back into this series. Barsha, man, I don't want to be too negative on Barsha, but I really don't know what to think. He does not look like the same guy that we saw when we left the series. Because remember, we went to like Atlanta. He was great. Daytona, yeah, whatever. I don't, I don't really think Daytona is perfect for Barsha's style. But he was firmly in the podium conversation every week. 
and that's just gone. Like he's nowhere near podium level right now. And again, I said it just a second ago. I don't, I do not know what to think. The same goes for Justin Hill. Now, Justin Hill wasn't in, you know, in the top three in points like Barsha was, but he was certainly a top eight guy. I will say for Justin Hill, he's riding very, very well when coronavirus hit and neither of those guys are anywhere near their previous level. And I don't know what to attribute it to. Did they take too much time off? Did they not work hard during that 85 day span? Did they focus too much on the outdoor series? I don't know. You know, you can maybe lump Blake Baggett in there as well, but at least on Blake's side, at least he led eight minutes at the first round, which is saying something. And then the second round, the the Wednesday round 12, he was your fastest qualifier. So yes, his results have been crap, but at least there have been flashes of brilliance. For Hill and Barsha, I haven't seen any of that. I have not even seen one lap from either of those two where I was like, oh, there it is. There's the speed. There's the the ability and the old form that is still in them. I just haven't seen it. And yeah, Barsha's top 10, but I, I don't think that's what Barsha came here to do at all. And I think those guys are probably scratching their head and just wondering where that that pace went and where their the ability to run at the front went. So we still have four left. We're not even halfway through this Salt Lake run yet. But I would be lying if I said I wasn't disappointed in, in the performance of both of those guys. Now, fantasy-wise for, oh, God, Freddie Norn just killed me. And I don't know what they showed on TV. I haven't seen it yet. But Freddie Norn, man you got to really figure it out. You got to study racing a little bit more. And in those high pressure situations, find a way to make better decisions. You had this handed to you in the heat race and the LCQ on a silver platter and you blew it both times in the heat race. All you had to do was put in consistent laps. Ryan Brees was back there a few seconds back, but I don't think it was there. There was no pressure. I know that because I was watching, there was no pressure behind him and he just crashes in the whoops and, throws his bike at the tough blocks. Terrible. You can't do that. You can not crash while you're in qualifying position in the heat race. That's rule number one, rule number one. And as I said last night in the racer X podcast, rule number two, refer refer to rule number one. Don't crash while you're in qualifying position. Now in the LCQ, he wasn't quite fast enough. He had gotten displaced by tickle but then Ryan Brees crashes, and all you have to do is go through the whoops one time decently, and you're going to get in. Brees is trying to get back on his bike. He's trying to get going, and Norn blows it and ends up rolling several of the whoops, and now it's just a drag race to the finish. Freddie doesn't do that right either, ends up crashing again, and I was so pissed off for my fantasy team, but then just so frustrated at, at Freddie's lack of ability to execute either of those situations. And I shouldn't care as much. I am definitely wrapped up in this fantasy world costing me a ton of points, but man, it wasn't good. And Freddie is probably the nicest guy in the pits. So I I want to be careful somewhat, but just on a racing level, good Lord, it wasn't good. It was not good. And he should be more frustrated than anybody. This is his racing career we're talking about, but you've just got to walk through those scenarios in your mind this week or the next two days over and over and over. And what did I do wrong? Why did I crash? Where was mentally, where was my focus at? And why did I make the decisions I did? 
and he just like Steve said, he had to have just panicked. But you've got to have poise in those situations. Poise is everything in racing. You've got to mentally rise above that and make smart decisions. So I won't harp on him too bad. I, I know he feels worse than anybody, but it was really frustrating for me to watch on every level because I was that guy. I was the guy that was on the bubble so many times. I was the guy in the LCQ that you had to make great decisions to get in. You had to always outthink the guy around you. And I just, that was the complete opposite of that in every way. So we'll get away from that, but tough to watch. I want to talk about Plum Creek funding a little bit. Now, if you guys have been watching the stock market or any of this craziness with the financial world, the jobs report, it is wild times. I mean, what in the world is going on? They, they underestimated how many jobs would bounce back last week by like something like 9 million. I mean, what? Like, how do you even do that? So that, that sparked a huge stock market rally on Friday, which is carrying into this morning in the futures. All of that's great news, but there is still a huge opportunity to refinance your house or to buy a new house right now. Rates are at all time lows. And I mean, ever historically in the history of America, they've never been this low. So if you want to reach out to Plum Creek Funding and just ask questions about how you can financially benefit, that is the most critical of this. I'm not telling you got to do anything. Don't do anything dumb. Don't do anything rash, but ask questions. Ask how you can save yourself a ton of money. Ask how you can set yourself up for a much better housing situation for the future. So reach out to Zach, 720-212-4685 and at Plum Creek Funding and ask for Zach. He's a moto guy. He is full on a fan of the sport. So you'll have that connection point right away. And then just ask questions, lay out your situation to him and just ask his advice for how you can make make some money on this deal, or at least put yourself in a better situation long-term to save a lot of money. I've done the same thing. I've done it multiple times. I've already done a refinance with his help. So I, I lived this already. Also want to talk about Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia for all your restoration needs. If you mention the industry seating podcast with those guys, you will get a 25% discount. So if you have your bike, whether two-stroke, four-stroke, whatever, and you're looking at it and like, man, this thing's hammered. I've been riding it a ton lately and it's just beat. Send your parts off to them. Get that thing dialed. They will have it looking brand new, quick turnaround, and you will have the sickest bike at the track the next time you go. Also want to bring up 612 suspension. My buddy Ronnie over there is a race tech supported outlet. So if you want to get your suspension done, you've heard Steve Mathis talk about race tech forever. You can go to, to Ronnie Monk at 612 suspension. It's 612 suspension. That is SIX, the number one, two suspension.com. And his Instagram is the same thing. SIX 12 suspension. I've used their stuff forever. Growing up, his dad built my stuff for years. And now Ronnie's a second generation suspension expert. You can use this for your UTV. You can do it for your motorbike, off-road bike, adventure touring, whatever. You want to get your forks coated? He can do that. Check out his Instagram. He has all the stuff that he's been dialing in. And truly, he can make your bike work just like your, the pros you see on, on, well, I guess it's Sundays and Wednesdays. But he has the years of expertise. And I've known him forever. And I would never recommend somebody that I didn't trust to work on your bike. And most of you, I know what most of you guys are doing. You're riding your bike stock. There's so many people I see that 
They're not even getting their oil changed in their suspension. That's probably the most critical thing you can do to maintain performance is get your oil changed. So if, even if it's just that, send your stuff off, talk to Ronnie, 612 suspension. Also want to thank the guys at Works Connection. Check out their Pro Launch Start device. That thing's awesome. I used it for years. If you go on their Instagram, at Works Connection, they will show you how to install it and how to use it and how to get a good start. If you are a racer, period, and you want to get a good start, you need a start device. Full stop. There is nothing past that that I can tell you that's not true. Now, if you're on concrete or a graded start or whatever, maybe you can get away with it. Maybe. Even then, I still think you should use it. You would just want to put it at a setting where your forks are not compressed nearly as much. But on a dirt start, which most of the world uses dirt starts, you have no chance without a starting device. And I, I go on these message boards and I watch people write like, I've never used one and I hole shot all the time. Well, sorry, man, you would hole shot every single time then. If you're that good of a starter and you can get hole shots without one, you would be Michael Lessey if you had a starting device on your bike. Because I've, I've done it. I raced amateur and professional for years and years and years before they were around. And then I raced with one for years and years and years. And there's no comparison period end of story it's not even close the argument i hear people say that they don't help is asinine it's completely false so check out works connection pro launch start device and i know there are some of you out there especially the older generation that these were never in your racing repertoire i get it it's new right you still maybe don't believe in it <laughs> again there's nothing even close to comparison to having one versus not. And if you're going to get one, I highly recommend the works connection one. All the race teams use them. They've been around forever. The factory teams all use it. Factory Honda's used works connection parts for decades. So that's the brand that I trust. That's a brand that I recommend worksconnection.com at works connection for their Instagram. Finally, fly racing, go check out the formula helmet. That thing is awesome. And if you don't know much about it, you can go to formula.flyracing.com for a full tutorial. But we've got a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of retailers are putting stuff on sale. It's kind of the end of the season. And I am out pre-selling the 2021 line. So a lot of exciting things to check out. Go to flyracing.com, go to your local dealer, and ask about fly racing today. Now to wrap this thing up, don't you kind of feel this is just really Tomac's title to lose unless he does something crazy. And even doing something crazy, I think he has a 26-point lead, something like that, over Roxon, And I think he's got 32 over Webb. He could do something stupid and still have a points lead. So I was really hoping that this series would tighten up and we would have just a, a run to the finish at the finale. But it looks like that's going to be left to the 250 boys for now. And this 450 title might get wrapped up even, even before then because... I don't see this Tomac train slowing down. He looks so comfortable and so confident. I could see him wrapping it up with a round to go. And that's fine. Uh, I, I really commend Tomac for the effort he's put in this year. Remember, he's had this 250 championship, this, Super, or this 450 Supercross championship hanging over his head for a few years now. It has been, I don't want to say the bane of his existence, but he's had to go through some serious emotional and mental agony over this title that 2017 series where he lost it at the end had to just be brutal to go through 
So it looks like he's on his way to his first one. And I think he's going to go down as an all-timer. You start to look at his race wins and title titles he's racking up. He's now tied with Dungy for Supercross wins. And he's not anywhere near done yet. Uh, so kudos to him. I really respect his ability on a motorcycle. Um, I wish he was a little bit more outgoing with his personality sometimes, but I can certainly relate to that. And I think he's just here to show up and kick ass on a dirt bike. I think it's just that simple. That's where he's at. So great job by him this whole 2020 season. And he's got a chance to, uh, to wrap this thing up here in another week or so. Um, but for the other two, I mean, great job by them too. They just kind of have let this thing get away from them down the stretch, you know, for Webb, I think he's done everything he can, but realistically he would have had to win these first three. He would have had to be on a, a three race win streak right now. If he wanted to do anything about Tomac he would have been able to take nine points out of Tomac and bring this thing down to where it would be, there would be a chance for something to go wrong. Well, he hasn't really done that. You know, he's won one and got second twice, which is certainly respectable, but it's not what was needed if he was going to turn the tide in this championship. Now, Roxon, it's completely gotten away from him. As we've mentioned, he's got all kinds of health problems. I mean, he has no energy out there. I, I don't know if it's the same problem as last summer. He says it's not. It certainly looks like it is, but he's, he's definitely dealing with more health problems and he's not even able to ride out there. Like he's just riding around, you know, Brayton finally went by him, but I mean, he got lapped twice just to show you how bad it was. So he's got to be just devastated with his, you know, his body's just not cooperating. He is so talented and so fast, but he's not able to show it. His body's just, he's failing him at the worst time. So we'll see how it plays out, but it certainly feels like Tomac has this in hand. Now, as for these races as they go on, I'm going to try to do another podcast on Thursday. I wanted to this weekend. I just did not have time. Too much work and not enough time, uh, but I, this one's a little bit shorter. So I'll try to do another update on Thursday and give you my thoughts on what went down there and should be able to. So I appreciate everybody listening. Thanks to all the sponsors. Thanks to everybody for listening. It is now 6.30 in the morning, so I uh, had to get up early for this one, but I appreciate everybody tuning in. And as you guys know, we're, it, we're content machines right now. Pulpamex show tonight, Fantasy again tomorrow, or, uh, tomorrow uh, Moto 60 again tomorrow, and they're just going to keep coming. So thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon. See you.